Hello. Oh, how are you, Juliana? Hey, I'm well. How about yourself? Uh, I am. I'm. I'm quite dandy. Like things could be a lot worse for me at the moment. So fingers crossed, things stay that way. <laughs> yeah, because I noticed that UK the the count is pretty high. I mean, of the of the virus. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> high. very high. <laughs> it's yeah. High. Yeah, so it's very scary. It's like I wonder how, I mean, even if you all walk out of the house, you must be really careful because even Malaysians are very careful, although we have not reached that critical level yet. It's, if you look at the UK, a lot, some people have not been careful at all. I mean, literally, I, I'll send you some, there's people that have been just hanging out in parks. They've been oh no in groups. So, you know, there's, I've seen many people that have just taken it as another day. It's it's. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, no! Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. It's 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 madness. I mean, I think with a lot of these podcasts I'm doing now, it's a bit more of a therapy session than actually podcast at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us need that. Huh? Yeah, we are like we need to talk through about our feelings, you know, about all this. Yeah, while well, being homebound. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how are you doing today? How can I protect? What 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 problems do you have today, Juliana? <laughs> uh, yeah. For me, it just now was like I I got a bit confused when I logged into Zoom. I was like thinking, oh, it's four a.m. You know, I was like I got I thought that I got my time zone mixed up again. Yeah, because it happened before where I mix up the. Because now it's actually the daylight saving hour in UK. And if let's say I count wrongly, I will be an hour behind or early of anything, which is quite weird, you know, like you're like mixing up time zones. So I, I, it happens to me a few times. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> Tell me the story, Juliana. Tell me what happened with the mix up. <laughs> hmm? what's, what's, you said you mixed it up a few times. Tell me the story. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, okay, there's this one Instagram open mic that is actually an online open mic. It was quite interesting. It was like they say, oh, okay, it's actually London time 9 p.m. But the time I've forgotten that it was the daylight saving hour. So I actually say, okay, that means I will wake up at 5 o'clock. Yeah, a.m. Yeah, from KL. And okay, so because the thing is my slot is about uh, 9.45 p.m. in London, which means that on my assumed timing, it's 5.45 a.m. 
So I wake up at 5.45 a.m. thinking that I'm early. I was like, okay, let me tune in. It's early. Then I actually even watched a performer. They talk. I mean, he's from Ireland. So he chatted a bit, you know. And after that, he asked the host, what time is it? So he said, uh, what time is it now? Then the host said, it's 10. 10, 10 a.m. Something. Quarter past 10. So I was like, Okay, so that means I actually skipped my turn because my slot is actually 9.45 London time. I was like, oh no, you know, it's like, but luckily I actually texted him and I said that uh, I mix up in the time zone. Yeah, you know, I forgot about the daylight saving hour. And he said, no, I will just put you on since I have not closed off the live show yet. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but it gets a bit nerve wracking at times when you're trying to work out the timings. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's... You know what? I, I one thing one thing that I've, that's occurred to me. What would be interesting is if someone, you know, once things get back to normal and comedy clubs start running, it'd be funny to see someone do a comedy set on Skype towards the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be fun. It's like everyone, all the comedians stay from home. The com- the audience will just come to the comedy club and then they will do social distancing, make sure they are not seated too close to each other. And they will just watch everything from the projector. It'll be really hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Tell you what, next time I next time things start getting back to normal in London, I'll invite you to my night and you do your set on Skype. Should we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can because in KL I can like yeah, yeah. It's like the thing is I'm also running open mics in Kuala Lumpur, but the thing is nowadays I'm also opening it internationally. Normally I don't because. Yeah, the person have to fly in usually from another country to be able to perform. But now because there's Zoom, there is all the StreamYard, everything, all the streaming software, uh, we just need to make sure we don't mess up the time timing. And yeah, we can actually do an open mic for people international. I was like, this is so cool. This is stuff that I've never imagined uh, would happen before the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's the only good thing about this whole pandemic stuff. Yeah. It's... One, one th- yeah, it's it's bit it's yeah it's it's let's just say um, it gives it, it for me. Uh, you you yeah. right. There's there's not many good things about it so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I have found it's given me time to look at podcasts and look at mm. um, yeah. I've I've been watching a lot of podcasts, lots of maybe comedy talk show hosts or like what yeah i've watched a lot of netflix special stuff like that yes me too i watch a lot of netflix and a lot of old movies that i want to watch but i did not watch yeah Uh (laughs) game of thrones being one of them i bet it is (laughs) game of thrones have you seen it or have you no i heard that the lighting is pretty bad But the story is pretty cool, they say. Just that just that I don't really like to get caught in series because I know that once I get addicted, I will just commit to it. And I will start watching and watching and watching. And after that, yeah, my life will be out of order. Yeah. That's I, the thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> that's the, I have the same sort of thing I feel. I, I feel I have a bit of an addictive personality. So I, I feel if, you know, if I... If I had a, you know, I've, I've not taken any drugs, but if I did take any drugs, I would probably yeah. be very addicted to them. I'd be like, yes. I've got to finish this shit. Yeah, it would be like, oh, you know, where can I get my next supply? <laughs> <laughs>
it was interesting. Like we we met, what's it called? Maybe three or four months ago, was it in London? Uh, we met in December uh, after Christmas, because you were running some shows in uh, Hammersmith that time. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. It was. You you had you had quite a good trip, didn't you, when you were over here? Like I saw your uh, gone yeah gone clip. That was good. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, because for me, I was there, I, I was there to actually audition for Britain's Got Talent, but I didn't get it, boohoo, yeah. But the thing is, that is just a small, small part of the whole trip. The best part is I get to see England in the morning, yeah, and after that, in the evening is to go for the comedy, yeah, because there's just, it's like so much of things happening in London compared to Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur only has two comedy clubs compared to in London, there's every night there's two or three running simultaneously. I was like, wow, I mean, it is like really big compared to KL. So KL, uh, when I come back for the first week after I came back, I do feel that things suddenly become very slow because I was like, I'm actually open micing almost every night in London, but in KL, we have to stick to the Tuesday and Wednesday again for open micing because, uh, and there's not much of independent showrunners in Kuala Lumpur compared to London because a lot of place event space are very expensive so unless you want to burn your cash and all then you can you can sort of like organize shows but a lot of uh, comics they prefer to perform than to organize yeah oh so how, if you're gonna be honest with with um, how many comedians would you say are in Malaysia as a whole if you had to as a whole, the comedy community, you mean the number of comedians? Yeah. I, w- I was give it a fair, I would give it a fair hundred, hundred people, hundred comedians. But that is just uh, a lot of in and out. I would say the full timers, we only have 15, if I'm not wrong. That means those who are really doing it as a profession. 15 uh-huh. Malaysian comedians. And the active one, where you see them around the circuit off and on, is I would say maybe... 30 to 40. Yeah, that is the one that you will see frequently in the open mics. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it still has a bit of a community, but it's not like, not like London where there's... I think London is much bigger. <laughs> yeah. Mm. One thing I found interesting as well, though, despite there being more gigs in London and in New York, like you're saying that the mm. gig every night in, New, in London, in New York, that figures probably three times or four times that. Mm. Like you could do maybe wow, that's really big a week or, or forty. Oh, that's like, insanity. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily determine quality of the comedian. Like there's comedians yeah. that could be doing it for 10, 20, 10 years and they can be doing loads and loads of different gigs but they're not necessarily as good as maybe someone that's been doing it for 10 gigs or 50 it's it's do you, do you get that sometimes when you're comparing the different scenes of Malaysia and London as a whole uh, I would say that Malaysian is very competitive it's like compared to I mean London is like there are okay there I mean what I observe is uh, there are a lot who are pretty leisurely about it that means uh, means I go in and watch and a lot of them are just like, let's say something happened in the day and they just say, okay, let's talk about this today. I just need to get it out of my system and yeah, talk about it. Um, it was pretty cool. It's like people don't put pressure on each other. And then, uh, but there will be the 
Pro Club as well. I also went to see like the comedy store, the what else? There's this one in Covent Garden. It's called a Top Secret Comedy Club, where you actually see like the ace of ace of comedians performing, and they are really good. I mean, I look at them. I was like, this is actually equivalent to the full time comedian in Kuala Lumpur. You know, they are just like so good, so sharp, and they were like making people laughing every every five to ten seconds. I noticed that it's like the pro comedians in Malaysia. They are really that good. But in KL, it's like even the like people like me, we are not very new, but we are not very uh, seasoned as well. Uh, a lot of us are already like really, like we are actually polishing our chops and we really want to get on. We wanted to get on headline shows. Like not headline shows, but we call it the featured acts. Uh, we want to be opening acts. There are so many people vying for opening spots. Yeah, it's like, because we are nine, we are not really very new. Because the new ones are usually leisurely. They are like, it's okay, let me just try. I mean, this is fun. Let me make some new friends and uh, just explore whether it's comedy for me. And there will be a bunch of them who are in this for a long time. That means some of them, the, the youngest full-time comedian I know is about, I would say, five years in. Yeah, she's five years in, in comedy. And the oldest is maybe, I'd say, 20 to 30 years. Yeah, so these are the full-time comedians. And all these are doing headlining gigs. So it's very few headliners in KL. So we have to import the foreign comedians in usually. That means they will get all the English comics, American comics. Malaysians are very into American comics, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, so they get in a lot of American comics and Australian comics like, to comedians, headliners. Yeah. Oh. I've got a question to ask, and I want to say, is the comedian who you said that's been doing it for five years, Hanan? Correct, you're right. Ah, yes. Yes, it's her. <laughs> yeah, she's the youngest, I would say youngest full-time comedian. But I would say that her reputation is like she's really, personally, I felt that she is doing a lot for someone at five years mark, at a five-year mark. Because she really travels, she go Edinburgh, she did, she did Melbourne, I mean, she did Europe. She did Europe. And now she's in France, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because she's studying as well. Uh, Theatre. Yeah, but she's really good. I mean, when I first met her, it's like, I'm like, wow. I mean, she's doing things that Malaysian comics are very shy of doing. <laughs> because Malaysians are somewhat, really, because we are a Muslim country. So conservative, definitely conservative. And we, are, we make sure that things are easy for, the, some of the audience are pretty conservative as well. So we need to be quite careful. But Hanan don't care. Hanan just go all out. And it's really refreshing to see people like her just go all out and just speak her mind and then sing the funny songs that, that are really brilliant. Yeah. You, you met Hanan before? Yeah, it's funny that you mention it because I was in France also studying theatre. Uh, are you all classmates? <laughs> yeah, well, we were for one semester, for one, one module, yeah. <laughs> Wow, okay, this the world is very small. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's incredibly small. Yeah. I was like, suddenly you mentioned Hanan, then it's like, okay, so that is really interesting. And you mentioned about France as well, so I was like, that what that place called E, what? Uh? E, e, cannot remember, like, I cannot remember. It's a bit weird one, the, the word. Yeah, it's French, French, yeah. So she said that it, uh, E Tempis or uh, something like that. E Tempis, yep. E Tempis. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an Etoms. <laughs> When I first yeah. thought of it, I thought it was going to be in Paris, quite close. I'll get to like meet a lot of people in France, um, learn a lot of French. But 
it's 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 really out the way it's a bit like you know your joke is uh, i mean can i say the joke about Birmingham? yeah sure <laughs> okay so you said that i'm from kl yeah you that don't understand it is the is is the birmingham of the uk but birmingham it, of asia yeah but it's a lot worse than that it's uh, oh it's really like, birmingham bit, is worse than that no 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 what <laughs> it is yes but <laughs> no um etoms <laughs> is is a bit like um what's a good do you know of the late late district the lake district yeah in in the uk lake district but i didn't go there i mean i is in my list but at that time it was like too much like and it's also winter so that's why i didn't go for peak district and uh lake district yeah but it's a bit it's a bit like a it's a bit like a beach town like a you you have these like cities in malaysia i'm sure that are like really quiet little villages and i feel that's what etoms is it's very much like a it's like a buddhist retreat or like a oh it's it's like you know some people go and do karate in okinawa for a few months or something that's what it feels like going to Etoms during the course because you're surrounded oh. by a select little community, 70, 80 people. We, um, we just, most of the time we're just talking with each other and it's a very quiet mm. area. And we just, I mean, we build a lot of close friendships and let's just say um, there's a lot of action going on between different people. But uh, if, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's... It's a yeah, it's a very secluded community. So, it, and do you know much about Philip Golio? Sorry. Do you know Do you know about the school that Hanan went to? Like, do you know about the teacher? Um, the... Not really. I mean, uh, I only know that it's a theatre school, and at the end, there are times she posts photos of her play where everybody get together and say, "Okay, that's a wrap. That's our end of our school year. Uh, we'll be back next year." So I was like, "Oh, so she actually did theatre." play in um, in France as well, yeah, which is pretty cool because that is kind of her route because in KL, she also does quite a bunch of theatre and she's also a musical, she's a mus- I would say she's also a singer, singer-songwriter. So she actually did singing, songwriting and theatre before she even stepped into stand-up comedy. So it's like the moment she stepped on stage, it's like when she do comedy, people will think that, wow, she is a genius, you know, she she immediately get the laughs, you know. But the thing is, her training in theatre is very sound and, and she's a musical comedian. So, I mean, music musician as well. So, of course, the songs are really great. So, I was like, wow, I mean, she, she's able to marriage the music and the theatrical aspect and, and make it very funny. So, I really enjoy her, her show every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she's very good. It's funny. Yeah, it is. I had a, I had a comedy show with her in mm, Nice. Like with a lot of people in the school, and she was amazing. And she, she yes, really... she's amazing. It's like I, I, I can't help every time when she come back home to Kuala Lumpur to headline. Um, unless I'm, I mean, normally I make sure that if I say I'm free, I will go and watch her. It's like, I mean, I, she always tell me, Juliana, I'm telling the same jokes again. I say, no, it's not the same because the thing is, she does a lot of crowd working in her routine as well. So there will be different audience every time she performs too, and she know how to just find the funny in the audience of that night and somehow you, you don't feel that it's the same show somewhat although she said that oh you have heard my song many times but it doesn't really matter I still enjoy listening to her every time 
She she was she was the star of the show. She really did well. It was really good to see her. And it's yeah. But that's that's one of the things I want to say as a whole that, that I find quite interesting because as you said, the top professional comedians that you that you say in Malaysia are like the same level you see of comics in Top Secret in London. Yep. But I find it quite impressive that Hanan's able to reach that level when there isn't as many comedy gigs as there is in London. Yep. And I find that quite interesting that, um, do, you, do you, you obviously know, I remember listening to Russell Peters and he said he spoke to George Carlin and said that if you want to mm-hmm. be a good comedian, you gig as much as possible. Yep. But, but that's not necessarily true. I think what he, because <laughs> what it's he meant. It's the quality as well. Yeah. I think what he meant by that is that you got to you just find your own way in terms of being funny. Yep. That, that's, yeah. that's do it, do it. There's not more to it because it's, yeah, I find it interesting. What, what would you say is the reason for, apart from just why do you think sometimes someone does, why some people, why in places, why, why would you say number of gigs isn't, isn't necessarily a good indicator of how good someone's going to be? Why would you say that? Oh, okay. I would say number of gigs because uh, it doesn't really... Uh, I wouldn't say that it doesn't matter. I mean, it really depends on the comedian themselves. If let's say they are, they already know like some bits of a stagecraft and some of them are really good writers, they are able to write really good jokes. And if let's say they, they can master the basics of stand-up pretty quickly, that means they don't even need to do like crazy 100 gigs, you know, per year or whatever. They can still do well, you know. It's like, it's more the quality that they already have. But for people like me, I'm more like a hard worker. So I, because I used to work as an accountant, yeah, I don't have any oh, okay. training in, uh, yeah, I don't have any training in any performing arts or even writing. So when I first started stand-up comedy, I have to learn both at the same time. It's like I'm not a good writer, I'm also not a good performer. So I have to work on both simultaneously compared to a comedy writer who just need to work on stage presence or an actor who need to work on joke writing, something like that. So it's like, because I noticed that in, in Malaysia, it's like if you are either one of them, that means you are a very good joke writer, then you just need to polish your, your stagecraft so that you become more appealing instead of just hiding behind the microphone with a notepad. Yeah, and it's like, it's a bit boring. I mean, if I say people would see you a bit longer than maybe 10 minutes, yeah, when you're having the notepad, it wouldn't be that enjoyable unless you're Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Yeah. And... For some of them are actors, they have theatre background, so naturally they are emotion. They know how to express their emotions very quickly. Um, you can feel them when they express a line, even though it's not a joke. But you can feel that they put so much of investment into it that it's so funny. Like the emotion really brings out their character, and it's really funny. But they still have to learn if they want to do well in comedy in the long run. But for myself, I have to really work hard on both ends. So I need to learn how to write. I also need to learn how to perform. And so I jump on any gigs that I see. And there are times in KL, because since comedy clubs is only limited to two nights for amateur nights. So I also jump, get crashed to other places. Like, you know, there are music open nights, there are poetry open nights. There are times I also just get crashed there. But poetry, because I'm also a poet, so I don't usually do comedy materials there. I will write some poem and just read out over there. But that's mainly for therapy purpose because uh, I, I mean, there are times that I find comedy a bit pandering. That means uh, you cannot really say whatever you want to because 
you may risk not being funny and sometimes being doing comedy the whole point is sometimes to make the audience laugh if let's say you're just being yeah. telling some stuff about your life it becomes therapy um but the thing is i got like ah, i don't want to be just pandering all the time so there are times i want to write stuff that really matter to me or stuff that i cannot find the funny yet so i will do it as a i will write it as a poetry and just read it out at a poetry club yeah but they also give spots for comedians as well that means maybe in a poetry show they just allow one comedian because uh, sometimes comedians they are very hmm, very interesting they will just say let's go there and do comedy and if let's say one person go there it's fine but if all 10 person go there the poets will be displaced they will be they will they will not be able to perform if the comedians start hijacking their venue so that's why uh, they only say oh one comedian only you know that kind of thing but i'm a poet so usually I would say, yeah, I do poetry, but sometimes my poetry can come across as funny, but that is just, it happens to be funny, that's about it. But I try that same poem in a comedy club, it may not get the same effect, because comedy is, yeah, it's, it must be jokey, like, in short, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that about poetry nights and music nights, because in London, there's a sim there used to be an evening called The Wedge, issue yeah. where they had loads of magicians loads of everything they used to have like 30 or 40 performers and what the guy used to do is he used to shove te all the comedians in one half of the show oh that's brilliant and then put a few in between but it's yeah you're, you're right if there's a bunch of comedians they will absolutely hijack the night there's no ifs or buts that's what will happen <laughs> yeah hijacking ah so they all will be displaced and they'll be like no 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 we can't you know yeah, because the thing is, poets, they cannot just go to a, a comedy club unless they really have something funny to say because for them, it will be like a very big contrast because everyone over there will tell jokes. And if they go up there with maybe a clever poetry, not really a funny poetry, then they may end up getting silenced and it is a very awkward scene compared to a comedian going to a poetry scene. And normally they will say, I do storytelling, you know, that kind of thing. And well, when you use the word storytelling, uh, people will start lowering their expectation and anything you say will get like more than double their last. It will be like, their reaction will be really wow. I have a friend who usually a comedian friend, but she is rather new. So she did not do really well in uh, normal open mics. But when she actually went to a poetry mic uh, to just do her beat, to just do a comedy, she killed. She really killed it. Because... Uh, People over there, they are not expecting comedy. They are expecting poetry. And she is more the witty type. That means she has wits, dry wits. Mm. So sometimes dry wits, it ended up, I mean, it really depends on, for comedians, for comedy clubs, sometimes people don't find dry wit very funny. Uh, but for poetry people, they were like, hey, they like it. It's clever. It's, the, the use of words are quite apt, you know, and, and they laugh. You know, I, I noticed that, wow, I think everybody has a different, different audience. I think that could, possibly be her potential market. It's like she may need to write more, more of this type of stuff and maybe do more gigs at, uh, at audience where they appreciate more of wordplay, you know, like dry beats, you know, rather than, than set up punchline jokes. Yeah. It's, it's, so yeah, I find that quite interesting because that you're a poet because I've, I've, I remember going to a few poetry nights and I remember them, some of them being very, very funny. And I'm just wondering, what, what elements of poetry do you think could be used in, regard, in regards to stand-up 
as a whole. Okay, if let's say you were to marry marry it, that means you were to put poetry into comedy, then I mean you still need to have some uh, setup. I mean there needs to be some setup, and your punchline will be maybe your first part of the poetry is the setup, and maybe the second part of the poetry will be the punchline. You know, I mean, um, have you watched Tim Minchin recently? I just start watching Tim Minchin, and he's really good. It's like. It's like he knows how to set up and he knows how to use the wordplay. And it's like, I was like, wow, he's marrying music, he's marrying poetry and also comedy together. But I'm not sure how he can stand on his own. Like, that means if, let's say he were to just do strictly stand-up or strictly music. That means serious music. It would be rather different. But he managed to just like mix it into a big pot. And it's really nice to watch acts like that. It's very, um, very refreshing, I would say. But... Comedy purists may not like it very much. That means uh, people who just like stand-up comedy, let's say uh, stand-up comedy purists, they may not like what Tim is doing. Yeah, because they were like, ah, okay, what happened to the good old days of people just telling jokes? Yeah, it's yeah. like, and up this guy is just mixing everything up. Yeah, that's a funny thing. I, yeah, there's a lot of that in London too. And to mm. an, in America. Purists. Yeah, it's, but it's, it makes things boring though if everyone's the same. Yeah, test things out to see if they're different. Because otherwise, it's just yeah, it's it's better to it's what's it called? Arnold Schwarzenegger says, um, "What's the point of being this earth if you just want to be like everyone else and liked by everyone?" Yeah, it'll be boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's that's um, so so Hannah, I'll, I'll tell you about about the score, and you let me know what you think of it. Uh, so we go to the same, same school. It's a theatre school. It has many of the best sort of comedians or art actors in the world come in. And effectively, it's taught by this Frenchman called Philippe Gaulier. Um, ah, yes. He's I've heard very, about the name before. He's, he's actually not too He's a nice guy. Him, Carlo and Michiko, they're lovely. But he, Philippe, he... He just says it as it is. He he's just tries to be truthful and honest. And then he, he's quite mysterious in a way. So he, um, he um, like he said with my mask, it was good shape, but there's not enough character to it. And then I tried mm. asking him a few more questions, but he said, you've got to figure it out on your own. He doesn't have that voice, but he, he's, he just says, um, yeah, so he, he, he'll say things, but he wants you to figure out on your own. And if when he makes fun of you, he's, he's a bit like he doesn't mean any manners behind it, but he's just trying to tell you what's what, and just so you learn. Mm. From it. And sometimes that's what you need because as performers, that's what I was saying before about comedians that've been doing it for ten years or doing this and that. Um, they're nowhere near as as there's comedians that have only been doing it for a year that are much funnier than them. And it's just it's yeah, as artists, I think. We can easily get into our set little ways and sit in a certain point. Um, like I myself, when I was doing comedy in London, and I don't think I'll be there for it. I, I think I want to go abroad. I feel I'll learn a lot more being away from London for a while. Mm. So, Are you originally from London? Yeah, I, I, I'm much. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lo, yeah, native. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mix. I'm a mix. My dad's English. My dad's English and Irish, and my mum's Chinese, so I'm mixed race. Oh. Yeah, that's why when I first met you, I was like, I was like, okay, so I was wondering your ethnicity at one point. I thought that maybe you are Scottish because I look at your surname, <laughs> it's McCarthy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. I really, there are times I actually <laughs> try to guess, uh, because to be frank, all of us when we were in KL, uh, white people are considered like rare. That means we don't see them everywhere, only in certain places. <laughs> then to us, all of them are the same, really. We, we thought that the French are the same, the German are the same. Except when they open their mouth and they just, they, when they tell, try to tell us that we don't, they don't speak English for whatever reason, only then I'll know, oh, okay, so they are not Americans. We always thought that they are Americans because Malaysia is very into Hollywood. So we watch a lot of Hollywood and we think that all white people come from America. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we were like, okay, you know, it's only when I left for UK, only I start to realize that, no, it's not true. There are so many other type of white people. And I also like say, oh, from family name, you can actually, uh, pre- not to say predict, in Malaysia, we like to use the word aga. Aga is like estimate, we like saying, okay, so if their family surname like, uh, for example, Clunan, uh, Brogan, you know, we kind of think maybe they are Irish. Maybe they are Irish, you know, the kind of thing. And if let's say they sound like some uh, French words, you know, then we assume that they are from France. And like your name is like it's McCarthy, so I always thought that Mac maybe it's uh, Scottish. Yeah, I think you're Scottish, you know. But when you told me you're Irish, I was like, ah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Irish Chinese, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm Chinese Chinese. <laughs> ah, fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chinese Malaysian Chinese lah. We call it. But both parents are Chinese, but my mom has a bit of a. Heritage from Thai. Thai is actually Thailand, yeah, northern of uh, Malaysia. Is we are neighboring countries. So, but the thing is, my mom has pretty much forgot all the the Thai heritage she have. She's more Chinese than Thai, yeah, because yeah. that is just a very small sliver of the family. It's like I'm like maybe a fourth generation mixed Thai. So I'm not even. It's like my father is pure Chinese. So that kind of like make me have a very small percentage of Thai. So when I go back to Thailand. It's like I, I'm actually as bad as any foreigner. I can I only can speak the few Thai words, but I can't converse in Thai. Yeah. Because yeah, although I have part of my heritage there, but I don't I'm not immersed in that culture. Yeah, I don't grow up in that culture. Yeah. It's fine. Don't worry, Juliana. Just get your phone out, get Google Translate and just to go Yeah. Yeah. Dika, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. I mean I enjoyed Thailand a lot because I, I went there went went there last year for two weeks in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. But the thing is I'm not so adventurous when I'm in Bangkok compared to when I'm in London because London is a I mean London or England is pretty much English speaking. So even if I get out of London, I'm not afraid of meeting people who don't speak English. It's like compared to Bangkok. Bangkok at least you can still see people speaking in English. But if let's say you take a wrong bus, you ended up in different part of Thailand where they may not speak English at all, then I know that I'm dead. So let's not be too adventurous. <laughs> yeah. You can use sign language. Use sign yeah. language. <laughs> yeah. It'll be amusing. My dad, a while ago, when he was in France with my mum, he didn't know any French. So when he was ordering a bit of food and he said he wanted chicken with it, he just did this. <laughs> yes, adorable. Yeah. Do you speak Mandarin by any chance since your mom is Chinese? Um well this is a this is a funny story because actually because of the war between um Japan and China, my, mm-hmm. so my mom's family they originally come from Hainan. Do you know what uh, that is? Eh? You know what? Speaking of Hainan, actually that's where my grandfather comes from. <laughs> 
Are we related? Is it, are we related? <laughs> You'll never know. It was like, when you talk about Hainam, then I was like, I was like, this is where my grandfather come. My grandfather actually take the boat. I mean, it's, it's a ferry or whatever, a junk. He actually came all the way to Malaysia to, to stay, to make a home in Malaysia. And that's how all our family members continue to stay in Malaysia. So, okay. It's, yeah, I was like, we could be related in some ways. Yeah. Well, we've got the same sort of nose. Maybe that's what it is. The nose is <laughs> Maybe, maybe. The, yeah, the wonder that nose, yeah. Because people were like saying, how come your nose is quite peculiar for, for Chinese? You know, you, does, you don't really have the very, very chi- Malaysian Chinese nose. I was like, no, because my, my grandfather is from China, you know. Yeah. And you know, I've got a big forehead as well, you know, and you make a <laughs> joke about the forehead. Yeah. Like, oh, the forehead is really huge. Yeah, it's like, Look at that. we it's can massive. do a fist bump, we can do a fist bump, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> forehead fist bump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So what, what about that story whereby you say a uh, Japan Hainan? Yeah. Anything about that? Yeah. So what happened was they, there was a war, they moved over to Thailand they changed their oh. name a little bit and my mum and everyone there that's in Thailand now, they say that they're Thai. Mm. But I, 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 don't tell my mum this. My mum's in the next room from here. So just not, don't say it too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later your mum will be like a ham, you know, like <laughs> what's happening? Why am I being dragged into your podcast? You know, yeah. <laughs> or your therapy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I have got a video of her in, in, in something that it's got like a, I'm not going to say where I've put it on because I don't want to share too, too many ideas, but I've put it on, on, on one of these platforms. I've got like mm. 7,000 views just out of cooking with my mum and that's it. That's, that's oh, all that's it. nice. I uploaded it and it's like, what's going on here? There's, there's, no, there's, there's no editing, there's no style or anything. <laughs> it, is the, it is like five-year-old phone video camera. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah, a lot of engagement indeed for sometimes. I mean, I noticed that there are times where people just do simple things and they actually get, get wheels because it's, I would say it's just like, it's enjoyable, it's therapeutic to a certain extent. Yeah, we were like, oh, somebody is cooking, let's watch, you know, yeah. Pretty cool. So then you don't speak Mandarin, that means, yeah. <laughs> Not yet, no. Well, I, Not I, yet. I, it is, is, oh, it's, it's, it sounds scary though. It sounds scary. Really? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in Malaysia, yes, we do speak Mandarin because it's one of the main, three main languages in Malaysia. Malaysia, of course, the national language is the Malay language. Yeah. So, Hanan is a Malay lady. So, um, yeah, that is her native language. Malay is her native language. Yeah, and after that, there will be the Chinese people. So, Chinese people, we have to learn Malay because it's the national language. Um, we, we, we learn Chinese as well. We learn Mandarin because... Uh, our parents say, so that you won't forget your roots, you know, that kind of thing. So we have to learn Mandarin as well. And we will learn English because English is the international language. But whether we speak English often or not, that's another thing. Lah. It's like because especially in the Chinese community, when you see another Chinese person, you will usually speak in Mandarin. And if you say speak in English, sometimes they will say, are you showing off? You know, they will think that, oh, you speak the the English language, you are showing off to us. You know how to speak English, you know, drop it, you know, speak in Mandarin, you know. Yeah, and there will be the Indian people as well. So the Indian people, they will speak in Tamil. Yeah, so, but I have not started speaking the Tamil yet. Yeah, because it's, it's a pretty hard language. Yeah, so we haven't learned Tamil yet. 
um, the Tamil people, the Indian people have not learned the Mandarin yet. Although a small number of us have learned, like we have overlapped, that means we have tried to learn another race language. But normally they are quite sacred, <laughs> yeah, in some way. They're lazy, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, this is what my mom used to tell me. A reason why we speak in our own uh, native language is so that another person, maybe our neighbor, won't be able to decipher our language, you know. So, uh, so that's why even they are not very generous with sharing language with people of another, another race usually. Yeah, so it's like, so that our secret will be kept, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, family so, secrets. Ah. Yeah. So what's the, what's it called? Um, let me remember. So how does it work in Malaysia? Like, how do you, because like, Nigel knows about five languages. Uh, Hannah knows about three, I think, and you know maybe three or four. Right? I I know about four. Yeah. So is it how how does that happen? Like, because in England, well, so many of us don't even well, Muhammad Ali, you know, yeah. Muhammad Ali, of course, you do. Yes. That. <laughs> he he <laughs> says them um, like in Africa, they can speak French, they can speak Portuguese and English, and other African languages, and he says in here. A white, like they can't even speak English, so it's, it's a bit. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's funny. Like, yeah, it's in England. A lot of us don't really know. We we take French lessons, we take this lessons, but many of us do not know many, hardly any other languages. And oh. as an Englishman, I am intrigued to find out how in Malaysia you guys are able to be fluent in three languages. That intrigues oh, okay. me. That is very, very interesting because I remember when I first exposed to the world of language, it's like the first language my mom ever read to me was uh, English because she, she's not very fluent in English herself. She's more Mandarin, uh, Mandarin speaking or Hokkien, I will be more specific. Hokkien is a dialect, Mandarin dialect. So um, she was speaking more of that language, but the thing is she wanted me to know English. So she would make sure she bought all those children books, you know, Ladybird. Um, she will read. I mean, although the pronunciation may not be right or what, but she don't care. She just read, you know, to make sure that I get the English words. And my father, surprisingly, he's fluent in English. My father is English educated in Malaysia. So he doesn't speak Mandarin. He speaks Hainanese though. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, he's from a Hainanese family, so he speaks Hainanese. Then the thing is he speaks English. So for me, I grew up listening to a lot of English. Then after that, one time we went back to my mom's hometown. And the time I was speaking English uh, with, with them, you know, I was like, hello, you know, the crowd, good afternoon, you know. Then my uncle was not very happy about it. My uncle talked to my mom and said, how come she only knows English? You know, like, how come she doesn't know the Hokkien, you know? It's like, if you don't teach her the Hokkien, you know, she's going to forget her roots, you know, the kind of thing. And okay, my mom starts speaking from that day onwards, she just speak to me in the dialect. Yeah, and somehow I managed to pick up because, I don't know, when you are in your formative year in, uh, as a child, you somehow just pick up just like that. That means you don't really know what they mean. You just echo. You just, uh, when your mom said something, you just, you don't know what it means. You just copy, you know, you just like, oh, okay. And then somehow you figure out the meaning like, later on. Yeah, but at first you are just listening and you are, I don't know how my mind works that time. It was pretty weird. And by standard one, I mean, by kindergarten, we have to go to the school, uh, like kindergarten. So the school actually teach Malay and Mandarin. So we have to learn that simultaneously. So I will say that we are already learning three languages simultaneously, even at the age of six. 
So, and then we progressed up from there from standard one to six, which is like until seventh grade, we are constant, constantly practicing the three languages at school. Yeah. But at home, we will speak, to, speak in our own language, like maybe speak to our parents in Mandarin or Tamil or whatever. But the thing is, somehow in school, we are already multi, learning multiple languages at the same time. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. <laughs> That's how Malaysians get very apt at learning multiple languages. But the thing is, we are not very good when it comes to learning other languages as an adult. That means if, let's say, ask me to pick up another foreign language, I couldn't have that kind of uh, the same absorption rate I had when I was studying Mandarin, English, and Malay simultaneously when I was a child. Yeah. Ah, bonjour, comment ça va? Yeah, so that one, not yet. Yeah, I, I, but I do pick up casual Japanese, Japanese casually and Korean casually by watching a lot of dramas at one point of time. So I can actually just say very simple greetings just to get a extra kimchi or extra, uh, you know, seaweed, you know, from the restaurant. But don't talk to me beyond that because I don't understand a single shit you say after that, <laughs> after the greetings. Yeah. Mm. That is intriguing. It's, um, yeah. And so you mentioned another point, like Malaysia, you're very fascinated by American TV. So is, is that why... Yes, yeah. Is that why Nigel... Un and Hannah sound like Americans. Um. Okay. Nigel Ng. Okay. I met him. I met him twice. Okay. So I met him in Kuala Lumpur when he was headlining, and uh, after that I went to UK. I just popped by his area. He's also living in Hammersmith, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, Hammersmith. And um, yeah, I just met up with him that one time. But both of us have gigs that night, so I didn't drop in to see him perform in UK. But the thing is, I'm not really sure about Nigel Ng's influence actually, like on comedy. But the thing is, uh, Hanan, also I'm not very sure about her influence, but I think she's more like musical comedy. We are influenced a lot by Hollywood, but the thing is we learn British English because uh-huh. we, are one of the, we are one of the countries that are being colonized by the English. So our, in, our English, we have to follow the British English. But the thing is, when we are listening, we watch a lot of shows, we are listening to a lot of American English. So there are times Malaysians will mix up with their spellings, like the Z, the S. Yeah. Ah, now that is very interesting. That is... Yes. Because it's quite funny with me. Whenever I come across uh, like in, someone who's from, from Asia or some, from some other country and they know English quite well, they always, a lot of the times, they speak with an American accent. I'm like, what's going on here? No, <laughs> yeah, I think which countries have very apparent American influence is South Korea. South Korea is American, definitely. Taiwanese, people who are from Taiwan, people who are from... Okay, Hong Kong is British, no. Hong Kong will be speaking pure British English. And then uh, Taiwan will be American English. Filipinos, Filipinos have American influence. And then... Uh, I think Indonesian, they will have Dutch influence. So it really depends on which country you are being colonized by. So we are being colonized by Portugal at first, but they leave very little influence in Malaysia because what happened was they tried to preach to the people. During the 16, I would say the 1600 that time, 1511, 1511, the Portuguese come to Malaysia. 
And I think they tried to preach to the people over there, which are mostly Hindu and Muslim that time. And of course, it was not very well received, so they got kicked out of the country somewhat, go back to their own land. And the Dutch came in to colonize us at one point of time. But after that, it is the British. So the British is actually the last country that uh, colonized Malaysia for a while. And they actually did a lot of developments in Malaysia. So that's why we are very influenced by British. And at one point of time, yes, Japanese. Japanese also colonized us at one point of time during the Japanese occupation. So, but we have not much of Japanese influence because again, Malaysian people are very sore of what Japanese did to our forefathers, to our grandparents. A lot of cruel things they did. So Malaysian, like especially Malaysian Chinese, they tried to put this episode behind them. Yeah, so that's why we don't really uh, sort of like pay, pay much attention to Japanese influences. But not, don't make a mistake. I mean, uh, not to be mistaken, uh, Malaysian, we value the working culture of Japanese because they are very... They are very industrious, they are hardworking. But the thing is, uh, a lot of Chinese people are still very hurt from what happened over the few generations. That's why if, let's say, I were to listen Japanese songs, I remember my mom used to tell me, Juliana, if, let's say, your grandmother knows that you listen to Japanese songs, she is going to just, like, beat you left, right, center, slap you left, right, center, because um, we don't like, they don't like uh, Japanese people, yeah, because of what happened at one point of time in Malaysia history. Mm. Yes, but it was interesting like, that it's like, so that Malaysia is very influenced, so our education are all very uh, based on, that means we speak uh, the Queen's English, but somehow we are very, Malaysia likes to import a lot of uh, American show, so we are listening to a lot of American stuff, so that kind of like wreck our mind a bit. So there are times, some of them, they actually learn the English that is American accent, and when they go over to UK, they'll be very surprised that, how come the white people don't sound like uh, Americans? Yeah, the, those kind of feelings that we have sometimes. Like, we thought that all white people are Americans, and that's not true, yeah. One thing I do have to say, that bit you said, like, in Malaysia, you don't, you're like, there's only one white person, and they're all a certain type in a certain area. Please tell me that's one of your jokes, because there's, there's a, definitely a story that I want to hear there. <laughs> I haven't looked that into a joke yet. I'm just telling you. It's not any part of my jokes yet. But I would love to explore now that you mentioned it. Yeah. There's, there's something there. There's, there's, you've got something to tell there. It's quite, quite funny. In a way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because I haven't really worked into that. This, I haven't break into materials like that. And now that you mentioned to me, I was like, yeah, I think it's a potential place to, to, to mine for materials about how Malaysian can speak so many languages. Yeah rather than making racist jokes out of each other, because Malaysians are very... A lot of Malaysians, they fall back on uh, sex, race, and politics joke. And Malaysia mm -hmm. is actually a country where its political landscape is also very... It's hilarious as well. Yeah. Mm. So, a lot of Malaysians will make jokes out of these few areas. Yeah. But the thing is, I think, if let's say we approach uh, race-based jokes from a very different angle, from maybe a historical angle, I think it will be interesting as well. I mean, I will, I will try seeing how I can make that into a routine. Yeah, because I'm also looking to diversify my material. Yeah, because rather than just talking about having autism, I think that will work maybe in my first 10 to 15 minutes. After that, I really need to find like what other things I can talk about. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds... 
I've got I've got some other points that I would like to add to what you said because you've said a lot of very interesting things and I'd like to go add add stuff onto it. You know, you know when you're having like a McDonald's burger with chips, I'm adding the ketchup. You know, chips yeah. ketchup isn't very good. So effectively, I think you're mentioning. So you said sometimes with stand up, you find it a bit sort of jar. You don't. You find it a bit boring in a way, or what was a, you're saying that you find it stressful because you're trying to please people and you're trying to make Oh, it, yes. Um, yeah. You, and you said, you said you find it refreshing when you see, um, when you see someone do comedy that's different to traditional stand-up. Yeah. It's, because I think that's, that's, that's a very good point because, I mean, I think wherever I went and wherever I go as a whole, uh, most people fall under the concept that they think in a certain way, and they, they people people don't often um, think in a certain way, and they they want to most. And I think, let me think carefully about what I'm going to say here. The bit I'm, because <laughs> you say that you admire a lot of things, and I think it's true in a way. Because if you look at anything like McDonald's or Burger King or anything that's really big and successful. They have characteristics or identity that illustrate them as them. And yep. In the course that I'm doing with Philip Gurlier, one of the things he says of a lot of people that perform when they go up, and I think the most common thing is he says, that's fucking boring. And then what he does, <laughs> he goes the class and he goes, and you, what do you think? And you, what do you think? <laughs> it's, it's one of the reasons for it being boring is that the people aren't necessarily showing their own they're not being themselves and they're not showing their full personality they're, they're trying to please people too much they're not being and yeah. putting a wall and not being themselves and one of the things that I'm doing a writing thing with Gronje Maguire on Saturday uh, yeah. you can look it up as well but she, one of the things she says is that one of the things when you're on stage, if you're too predictable, you're boring. And if you're doing like one-liners, people know what to expect and it's too predictable. So she says that you've got to try different styles of writing, different styles, different jokes and vary it up a bit. And like with, in Philippe, with the whole um, thing about the course is that you've got to listen to the audience and you've got to try different things. If they ain't laughing, yeah. change it up a bit. If they're laughing, yeah. keep going on and on with it. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, I think that is pretty cool because um, oftentimes when, I mean, sometimes we notice uh, that every comedians, I mean, especially in Kuala Lumpur, we, because comedy in KL is relatively young. So a lot of people are like, okay, we are looking for role models. You know, we tend to look, like watch YouTube videos. We say, okay, ah, I think this comedian is pretty cool. Let's try to emulate the style. So a lot of people tend to follow, like let's say, for example, uh, a lot of people in the pool of people that, that I know, they like uh, Louis C.K., uh, Buber, you know, and uh, a lot of many other American comics. So at one point, so I noticed that a lot of Malaysian comedians, they tend to steer to a particular style of telling jokes. So I was like, okay, that is interesting. But for the audience, sometimes, let's say there will be 20 people in a night. I mean, I noticed that this does not happen in UK because I think all the comedians are spread out, whereby you have so many shows happening in one night that, I only noticed that maybe only 10% performing. Yeah, most of the nights I went, it's like only 5 to 10 people. I don't see like 20 people going up the stage at one time. But Kuala Lumpur, because it's a small scene, 
and there's only two amateur nights. So of course, everybody will be like cramping. We have up to 30 people in an amateur night and everyone just get to do three minutes-ish. And I would say it's not a bad thing. If let's say you want to get the audience, even if three minutes you are really good, you will still get your audience. But the thing is, uh, a lot of us, we tend not to, to really experiment because it's just, we felt that it's a bit too short to experiment a lot of times. Um, but the problem of not experimenting is the audience will be seeing 30 people at three minutes. Um, if let's say everyone sounded almost the same, they are just doing things that they felt that it is the standard way of being funny. That's when the audience can tune out. And after the break time, we have a break time because um, 30 people is just too much to watch at one go. So normally they will break at 15, 15 comics and everyone will go toilet. But, but the moment everyone come back, you will see that eh, half of the audience went missing. Especially if, an, if, it, if it's an open mic show, you realize that half of them went missing because maybe they felt like, oh, we are seeing more of the same, you know. So that's why when you mentioned about being different, I think uh, experiment, try different things. I think that will help to change things up rather than to be everyone just emulating a certain style, a certain successful style of doing comedy because we have somehow uh, believed that, oh, we can only do comedy in this way to yeah, be successful. If we try to do it in another way, we will bomb. Yeah, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's limited thinking in a way because if you look at, um, but if, if you're going to be somebody else, your success is only going to be limited. It's not going to be because you, you have nothing to sell. It's, and it's, it's, there's, the, one thing I find funny, there's a few, there's a lot of comics in here that, in Britain that do the same sort of thing. And like some of them, they copy like everything. Like with, they yeah. copy the words that Bill Burr says. They, oh, they, they, no. like, they say things like, you know what I mean? Or like, dude, 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 dude. But they're not talking in their own way. They're trying to like... It's... Yeah, they try to emulate the voice of their favourite favorite comedian. And sometimes, especially if you watch comedy long enough, you were like, okay, why does this guy sound, sound similar to someone that I heard before? You know, like, it's a bit strange. But the thing is, eventually that has to come off. That means maybe at the first few gigs, uh, new comics try. Maybe they can be in the voice of Buber, Louise or anything. But after that, they have to start developing their own style. I think that is when uh, things become very interesting. And Malaysia also, we, we look, to, look forward to see like more, we wanted to have more different variety of acts rather than just acts who are performing in a certain way. Like Hanan clearly has shown that she is very, very different. And she's very funny as well. So we, we enjoy it very much. But not many people are, are like Hanan at this point of time in Kuala Lumpur yet. Yeah. She is very talented, very talented. Yes, very, very talented, hardworking, and also, uh, I would say, um, she, she's very in the moment. I mean, that is very, that's the thing I noticed that is very different about her compared to many other comedians because a lot of us, we tend to be quite scripted because a lot of us, we say we are only given three minutes, so we must really make the best use of our three minutes. So we don't even do stage work. That means we don't even do. We don't even sort of go up there and say, hi, how are you all doing? You know, the kind of thing. We just go up there and like, okay, this is my joke. Da, 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 da. Sometimes we do that. We just go about doing that. And it is okay if let's say you are just there to like polish your jokes. But if let's say you wanted to really learn uh, showmanship to actually be able to relate to your audience, then that's not a really good thing because uh, it's a bit weird because you just go up there, you don't even introduce yourself. You just say, let's go into a joke, you know, the kind of thing. But sometimes... Malaysia, we tend to go into that and it becomes less enjoyable for the audience sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
it's which are you are you gonna plan to come go to america or i don't know i mean for for now the pandemic is happening i already postponed a lot of my traveling plans because i thought of going down singapore singapore is just just down south it's like it's down south from malaysia but the thing is uh, at first i thought of going down in march for green days concert that didn't happen because uh, singapore was having quite a bad time with the covid 19 so i they already postponed their concert and i was like okay fine and they want to have the singapore international comedy competition in may but the thing is it's not happening as well because uh, singapore is also under a lockdown until june if i'm not wrong they will be having a lockdown because their numbers are increasing quite exponentially lately so they have to be very careful for now so i was like thinking maybe for singapore i can only go in during july but that is subject to malaysian travel restriction being lifted up because malaysia are very stringent on our lockdown as well that means we cannot go out of the country now it's like or those we also cannot go in from another country at this point of time so for now i was like thinking if let's say singapore is still like having a lot of issue then we might not be able to maybe this year this whole year i won't be even traveling but next year if lots of things are better i also wanted to go to i hope to go to new york because people also tell me a lot about new york city yeah and another thing is australia australia also i must have a look at the comedy scene in australia and i also plan to do at the brook fringe as well yeah mm nice yeah Yes, because I I kind of like I mean I kind of like London because it is a country that is very different from from where I grew up in. So that time I went to London. Of course, the first time, first few days I was like, it's so cold because I went in winter. So it was like, it's so cold. The thing is, I've never been exposed to the winter in my entire life. I only imagine that. And in fact, we always thought that school textbooks in Malaysia taught us that winter is a very nice season. You know. Okay, because we they say they build snowman. I mean, this is all the myth that we have, lah. In the textbooks that we are being taught, there will be snowman, and then there will be Eskimo, and it looks very fun. You know, we were like, you know, I wish that there's snow, lah. We can blow snowflake. We can make the snowflake. We can build a snowman. It's nice, lah. You know, the kind of thing. But the thing is, uh, the moment we come to UK, and I notice that UK doesn't have snow. <laughs> A lot of my Malaysian friends are asking me, "Is there snow? Is there snow? Take a photo. If let's say you have a you have built a snowman, you know." I was like, "No, there's no snow. I went up all the way to Manchester. No snow, you know. I go back home. No snow. They say, 'Have you seen the snow?' No, I have not seen a tiny bit of snow. It just rains every day. And the thing is, the wind in London is very strong. So winter is very cold in London because of the wind. I noticed that." <laughs> Yeah, but other than that, I was kind of enjoying the the people over there because I feel that oh, it's different, and you see all the dogs are walking everywhere. I noticed that there are so many dogs in UK where they went on the train, and every house that I visit that time, I mean, because I actually stayed at some of my stay at friends' house, and all their house have dogs. So I was like, oh, that's nice, you know. It's like it's very different from uh, Kuala Lumpur where there's a lot of stray dogs everywhere, which is quite sad. It's like nobody adopt you or you're a bit old, get out of the house. You know the kind of thing. So it's a bit sad. And then uh, there are a lot of stray dogs, and some of them, they were ended up just wandering around the neighborhood. And yeah, compared to UK where dogs are being treated like, like gods. You know, I'm just just making fun of the wording dog and god. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they really love dogs a lot. And I was like, wow, nice. 
Yeah, and it's a very different country and I noticed the comedy scene is like, wow, I mean, people actually, uh, comedy it seems like part of a UK lifestyle compared to Malaysia where we are still trying to to snatch the attention because uh, Malaysian, a lot of us, our entertainment is the movies. That means after having dinner, let's go to the movies. You know, nobody just say, oh, let's go and watch a comedy show. You know, let's go and watch a band. You know, let's go and watch poetry. Uh, Malaysia is not at that stage where they go and watch poetry, comedy or music naturally. A lot of them, their default entertainment is, yeah, let's go and watch a movie. So we are actually fighting with the cinema to actually bring in audience. We have to tell our audience like, okay, this is comedy show and we tell jokes. And sometimes our jokes can be offensive, you know. So, uh, please have an open mind. We still have to tell people like how comedy is. But I noticed that in UK, it is just like a lifestyle for people there. That means after dinner, they will just ask the bartender, do you have anything going on? You know, and they will say, yeah, at the basement or the top room, there is comedy. So, I was like, wow, this is really cool, you know, compared to uh, like, uh, because Malaysia is still, we are still educating people about what is stand-up comedy. But UK is already like, yeah, it's already part of our lifestyle. And I went to comedy store, uh, both Manchester and, um, and London. And I noticed that uh, it's like for King Gong, I ran, it's like 400 people. I was like, wow, 400 people is a huge audience. That is like a stadium audience for, for Malaysian where we actually get foreign acts. And the foreign acts will usually perform in venues of 400 people. But in UK, you can actually fit in 400 people for an open mic night. I was like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Have you been to comedy store yourself? Yeah, a few times. It's, it's, well, I mean, it's, I think the comedy stores as a whole. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting experience to me. I'm not really done too well at it because I'm quite severe and I'm not, yeah, yeah. I, I noticed you do magic. You do a bit <laughs> of magic as well. I remember that. Yeah, you did a bit of magic. <laughs> so maybe because... they were like, nah, then they were just going you off, you know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no it's, I just haven't figured out how to play it yet. So that's, that's it. But yeah, I just got to figure it out first. But yes, it's not the most easiest rooms. <laughs> yeah, it can be very scary because the time I remember doing King Gong, uh, in London, that time I was like really scary because all the comedians there they were they look quite pro, you know. I was like, wow, you know, all of them are very serious, you know, and they're all like, mm, I'm going to get through this night, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I mean, I just want the exposure because in Kuala Lumpur we also have a gong night, yeah. So, uh, but I never survived any of the gong night in Kuala Lumpur because that time I was very, I was very new that time. So when I did, I got kicked out in 50 seconds, you know, those kind of thing, and it's very quick. And then, but in London, I was like, yeah, I hate the experience of being gone out at 50 seconds. But I was like, yeah, since I'm in London, I might as well try to take a stage at the King Gong. Even though it is, maybe I might get kicked out in 30 seconds, it doesn't really matter. At least I have stepped on the podium of, of comedy store before. So I can tell my Malaysian friends like, yeah, I've, I've did, I've stand on the stage of comedy store before, you know. So I did that and the first five people, because I'm number six that time, I remembered. First five people who went up, they got gone off. And of course, I was scared, you know. I was like, no, it's like everyone is so brutal, you know. But I went up there, I was like, okay, the worst thing, the best thing that happened is, okay, I, I did not get gone off. I actually survived my five minutes. The worst thing is I won't die, you know. So I was like, okay, now my, let's just go up there. And somehow, okay, I think 
there's a bit of a magical moment there. I don't know why, how did I get that? And this magical moment doesn't happen often in anywhere, anywhere else, even in my Kuala Lumpur gigs. So I was like, suddenly that day, that night is like everything just went well. And I survived lah. I mean, I'm glad. I was like, okay. But in Manchester, that magic did not work. I got kicked out. <laughs> I got kicked out in a, 4 minutes 38 seconds. Damn, you know, I'm very close to getting through that time oh. in Manchester. Yeah. But Manchester, the, the audience were a bit more cruel. <laughs> yeah, because I, will, I, I chat with a few friends. I mean, they are some of them, some of the Brits are, that are in KL. So happened they are from Manchester. Then I chatted with them about Manchester a bit. I noticed that Manchester people are pretty, uh, well, they are very vocal people. They were like, you suck, you know, that kind of thing. And they are very expressive and they really lobby their people to, whoever who is holding the card, they will really pressure them to, to put the card up, you know, that kind of thing. I was like, I, I did tell them, I said that, um, I told my Manchester friends, I said, uh, I was going pretty well until somebody heckled me. They were like, you slack, you know, that kind of thing. And then he start to pressure the card holders to put up and I got gong off unanimously when three cards went up at the same time after being pressured by that heckler. And the time when I was telling that my Manchester friend about that guy saying to me, you suck. And my Manchester friend just told me, oh, I think that's just the most polite way of saying it. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> that is a very interesting expression my friend said. So that, that is actually polite. You suck is polite for Manchester people. I was like, <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's polite for any of the gong shows in, in uh, the King Gong shows. They're normally way more brutal than that. <laughs> yeah, and, and they boo very easily. They were like, boo, you know. So I was like, okay, I mean, it was pretty cool. But the thing is, it was a very scary gig. And people asked me, will you do a King Gong again? I say, nah, not really. I mean, I feel that it is nice, but the thing is, uh, it can be very scary. And for me, I, I, I mean, it's not, it's very trial and error. I mean, I don't get into that, that, uh, that state of mind yet. I'm not a mastery of getting into that kind of state yet. It's like something like, how do I describe it? It's like a wormhole, you know. There are times you manage to enter the right one and then you're like, eh, hey, everything works well. But a lot of time, I'm like struggling with hit and misses. I mean, even in Kuala Lumpur, I'm still uh, learning how to perfect a joke to the point that it's not hit and miss. Because hit and miss is, a, is kind of like a Malaysian, Malaysian don't really like, Malaysian bookers don't really like hit and miss acts. Because hit or miss acts is like, sometimes they put you on to perform to a crowd. Uh, there are times you can kill, but there are times you were bomb. So uh, to them, it's a great risk. If let's say you are a 50-50 act, I mean, I mean, that was me, yeah. I mean, I was usually classified by a lot of comedians as a 50-50 act. So, it's quite tricky actually when you are 50-50 act because bookers are very hesitant. They were like, should I take a chance? You know, if, uh, if, you, um, if let's say I pick her on a good day, I mean, she kill. But if let's say I pick her on a bad day, she just bomb silently for five minutes. That's terrible. So, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to work to a way where I have a greater consistency. So my jokes are more hitting than missing. Yeah. Mm. Do, you, do, you, do you find sometimes when you do the same jokes, you lose a bit of energy or it gets a bit monotonous? Yes, sometimes, especially when I, when I get a bit like moody. Lah. I mean, there are times I actually... At one point of time when I was doing open micing, I actually switched up my materials pretty much every month because I got so bored at it. Uh, but the thing is, the reason why is because 
I was doing a lot of very generic materials that time. It's like observational humor mainly. Um, they are not very personal, so I don't really have much of the investment, personal investment in it until, until recently I, I start doing jokes about having autism. Then that I have a bit more of a, like, I can actually draw an energy in that, in that act rather than a lot of other materials that I did. I find it very hard. I mean, after the third or fourth time, I start getting bored. I was like, oh no, I cannot be doing these materials again and again, you know. But for the current pool of materials I have, especially on autism, uh, I don't have the, I don't feel boring telling that joke yet. Yeah, but I'm still trying to break in new materials from time to time because uh, what people always tell me is uh, when you do materials, especially when you say that you are of a certain identity, like let's say you identify yourself as maybe Malaysian, you identify yourself as British or you identify yourself as autistic or even as a, maybe you are gay, lesbian, you know. But the thing is, it's fine. I mean, you can use whatever, you can tell jokes about all these areas, it's okay. But the thing is, uh, I don't want to make it too, kind of like too inclusive, the experience whereby only people who are autistic understand my jokes. I also want it to be somewhat universal so I'm also learning uh, to put it in another way. I have a friend who just tell me uh, this very recently and I think it's very helpful. What she tell me is uh, use what your experience or your identity as a filter because as much as how we are different from each other, the thing that we experience are very similar. Like we went to school, we, we got bullied before, uh, we fall in love, we have our heart broken, uh, we went to work, we have issues with our bosses and co-workers. So a lot of times, we also share this similar kind of experience. Instead of telling too much of jokes relating to, to yourself about your condition, about your identity, it's like use it as a filter. So I can still tell jokes about romance. I can still tell jokes about work issues uh, through the filter of being autistic. Yeah. So it will be much more interesting than just saying, I have autism, you know, and all the jokes will be relating on this autism alone. Yeah, although I can just turn out jokes on that if I want to because uh, it never ceases to sort of like, I mean, I, I mean, when I get obsessed over something, I just can't get bored of it. It's just that I need to learn how to make things more universal rather than to be too myopic. Yeah, mm -hmm. some of the things I say may be too myopic for the general audience and and I don't want that to happen as well. I want to have people to be part of my world as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is... yeah, I like that. It's, it's, yeah, it's, that's, that's where you see things going now. You want to make things more personal, more sort of in-depth when you. Yeah. Hmm. What's so? What? What's what's what? Now that you've you want to go more in depth, what sort of what sort kind of comedian do you want to be? So you want to be one that goes more in depth, but what what's what what issues do you want to talk about? Like you want to talk about what's 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 what you what's your goal with comedy? What you're hoping to get get out of it? Not not your end goal, oh. but like what's what you hope? What sort end of goal. Oh. The outcome. Yeah. Oh, okay. The outcome is like I, at the end of the day, I just hope to, to boil down to just being being human, you know, like talking about the views that, 
that are being human. That means it's personal, but at the same time, still very relatable. Um, also, the, I don't want to be like kind of cliche because uh, a lot of times, uh, cliche acts are actually like, uh, I would say maybe we have done things that other comedians have done before. That means the premises have been done. So normally, but of course it takes risk to actually explore premises that are not very well, like it's not really being uh, talked much about yet, you know. So I was like thinking, I mean, I want to talk more about uh, about equality when it comes to uh, people who are disabled or either from a, from a queer perspective, you know, queer community perspective. But the thing is, I haven't break in materials on, on being queer yet. Yeah, because in Malaysia, it's a bit sensitive talking about those kind of issues because the thing is like, there are some people when they openly admit that they are gay or anything, uh, it becomes a bit hard where employers may not be very accepting. So the thing is, they have to keep quiet. That means when they go to huh? work, they were like, okay, I pretend that I pretend that everything is okay, you know, it's like this is just a compartment of my life. So maybe they could come out to maybe family members or maybe their friends, but at work they were still, okay, let me just keep that aside for now, you know, they would just pretend to be like anybody else. And the thing is, uh, the sentiment we always have is, why is there an issue of us being gay or what? There's nothing, there's no issue because we still get the work done, you know. It's like, especially people, I would say that, we still get work done or maybe even better. But the thing is, uh, just because you say that, oh, we are different then we cannot get job done properly. Or either even when you are on the spectrum, people will perceive you as, as especially Malaysian, uh, Malaysian tend to perceive people on the spectrum as uh, on the low functioning end. They will tend to think of you as maybe you don't understand. We need to talk to you like a child so that sometimes uh, it could be very, it could turn people off. I mean, it could turn people like me or I, other people who, have, who are on the spectrum of because uh, they try to talk down to us to the point that you feel that you are an idiot, you know, like they dumb down stuff to you, they were like think, oh okay, I have to tell, maybe I tell this uh, person in this way because this person will understand me but I will tell you in another way because I think this is how you understand stuff. Uh, the intention is not bad but sometimes you feel that as though they are dumping down stuff uh, just for you they, because they perceive that maybe this is your level of understanding and it's not very cool you know that kind of thing so um sometimes they, they will be like oh okay i mean i don't think you can work well because uh, of your identity or because of your disability and i think that shouldn't be the case so i i want to talk a bit more on that kind of issue whereby although we may be different but at the same time but if let's say we just focus on on the things in our hand like maybe to on our work efficiency, you know, or maybe work efficiency or even work effectiveness or even like being human overall, just like, yeah, just accept us as who we are and then um, view us as the same as everyone else instead of uh, of just putting, of being, making us like, oh, you are putting us on the pedestal. There are times that uh, uh, people, People also say that uh, for children especially, like they say that, oh, okay, this kid is, uh, it has, she has autism, you know, we have to treat her slightly differently. And sometimes I don't think that is a necessity for that. It's like you can still treat a person same, you can still bring them to socialize, even though maybe socializing is not uh, someone who is on the spectrum. I mean, uh, people like me, I may not be very good with socializing, but that doesn't mean I, wa I don't want to socialize. So... It, Okay, my dog is barking. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, I think it's his time, but my housemate will actually bring him out, so not a problem. Yeah.
So he's he, he's whiny already. <laughs> yeah, do you have pets in UK also? No, uh, just a goldfish. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it in your room or in the common area? In the common common area. In the. Oh, so everyone can say hello to the goldfish. Yeah. But it's pretty cool, yeah. So at the end of the day, I just want to, to boil down on being human. Lah. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to flesh out my experiences, my jokes on that area, but I want it to be universal, but yet very personal at the same time. So people can relate to me, but at the same time, uh, explore premises that are more on being a person rather than just uh, being political or being, some of them, they rely jokes on being a, being racist, racial, that means uh, a lot of people like to do like racist jokes, you know, and I mean, it gets laughed like Malaysia for now, but it becomes a bit hard when you try to do it in another country. That means if let's say I were to bring all my Malaysian racist jokes to UK, um, there is a risk that it may not work at all unless you tell it in a way that uh, other country, I mean, people of other country understand. Like I have this joke about Proton, I think you have heard it before, where I talk about myself as a Proton car. But the thing is, if let's say I were just to tell you Proton Car on isolation, uh, maybe you will not get the context of it unless, but I think UK has Proton Car if I'm not wrong. There is, a, there is Proton Car, but it's always the higher end. While Malaysia is having the shittier end of a Proton Car, which is very funny. The export quality are always better than the domestic quality. So UK people, they know about Proton. So to them, Proton is actually not a bad car. But for Malaysian, it is kind of a shit car. So I have to explain, like, how do I let people know that it is a shit car? I have to tell them that, uh, okay, so it is Malaysia's national car that uh, we, are, we, are try we are learning to be proud of. So I'm trying to relate on that sense. That means I have to make it explain a Malaysian reference uh, in a global way. So that is, there is a fun in doing that as well. But it takes quite a lot of hard work to be able to come to that common understanding. Yeah of how a Malaysian joke, inside joke, can work well in another country. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes, um, what's it? but no, it's good to try it though. You could, next time you, you can try it and you never know what's going to work and what isn't. Yeah. You're good. How long have you been doing stand-up comedy? So I've been doing stand-up since the age of, you know, I've been standing up since the age of three years old. Oh, really? No, I was joking because I've been, you know, standing <laughs> up. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm a very literal person because I actually imagine uh, when, when you mentioned stand-up, you know, I really thought that it is you standing on stage and, and just talking, you know, stand-up comedy appears in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've, I've been doing it for about six years, but I think um, that it's definitely going to be a lot longer though. I think when you look on it and how long I'm going to do it, it's going to be a lot more than that. But we'll see how everything goes. Yay. What yeah. about you? <laughs> I'm doing it. This is my third year, actually. I'm doing it for my third year. Hmm. But I started five years ago, actually. It's just that after... I did only five open mics that time, five years ago. And... I kind of quit that time because I thought that uh, maybe it's not my thing because, uh, but, there, but there was an isolated incident. I actually went to a music venue and I was a very inexperienced comic that time. So went up there, performed a couple of beats and after that, but that time I haven't learned joke writing well yet. So when I go up there, of course, not much of punchlines. It's just a lot of storytelling. Yeah. 
So ended up, uh, the audience actually kind of like give me a non-verbal signal to get out of stage where they glad. Yeah, so I was like, shit, you know, and I have a few friends who are with me that night. They tried to make me feel better by laughing. But the thing is, you can tell whether a laugh is real or not real. It's the polite laughter or the real laughter. <laughs> so I know that that night they are doing a polite laughter. And I was kind of traumatized because uh, that time, I remember the other audience who are waiting for the musicians to show up. They actually thought that I'm hogging the, the stage. So they were giving me a glance that is quite harsh. So that time I was like, oh, okay, I think I better get off stage. And after that, I got a bit scared to perform again. Yeah. Until I met another comedian two years later. And he was like, hey, how come I didn't see you in the open mic circuit already? I said, I already quit comedy, you know. I mean, two, I mean that time, lah, 2017. Quit, quit comedy already because I don't think it's for me. Lah. Then he said that, what, what, what makes you, what leads you to quit comedy? Then I mentioned about that gig experience to him. And he said, ah, I know why you want, you want to quit because uh, you are performing comedy, especially when you are not a seasoned comic yet. If you go to another venue, of course, they are going to be quite harsh with you because for them, it's a music venue. They want to see musicians. And if you're not doing music, fine. You must be very funny to at least tell us jokes. If you're not funny, get out of the stage, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, he said, you have to come back to the open mic, the regular comedy open mics. Then at least the audience are more merciful. They know that you are a newbie trying to do comedy. So at least they won't be hostile to you or anything. So I was like, okay, I actually came back and then, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, after I came back, it's non-stop. Although it takes me one and a half year to even start making sense about what comedy is because for the, my one and a half years performing comedy, I actually bomb most of the time because most of my jokes are very experimental at one point of time. It's like, I try talking about stuff, but after that I get bored and I just move on with life. And at one point I'll get very dark. I even talk about about uh, my dysfunctional family, my abusive family, and talk about how I wanted to kill myself. You know, it was very dark at one phase of time. And at one point of time, I was just so angry about life. You know, I was so angry. I felt so invisible about life. So I was like literally yelling on stage. I, I can, I have the capability to just blow my steam off. It's like, it's, but it's more a character act. So I cannot sustain that act for more than five minutes. I lose my steam pretty much quickly, even though I may just come up as angry for five minutes but after that I realized that where do I find the what is the best way to be to actually start doing comedy properly and I tried at one point of time trying to write a lot of one-liners because I realized that I'm more of a one-liner comic where I just write a lot of set-up punchline jokes and it was good but the thing is uh, Malaysian don't really like one-liner jokes that much lah, because they prefer a more storytelling approach but again the storytelling must have jokes so it is a very fine balance because Malaysian like acts who are more Theatrical, I mean, it's like more expressive rather than just going up there with a notepad and tell some jokes. And, but the thing is, I, I was like keeping quiet on, on myself being on the spectrum. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's funny at all uh, being on the spectrum. So I never talked about being on the spectrum until last year. Only I started talking about uh, me having autism. And somehow, it's a very surprising thing. I mean, I somehow realized that, eh? It's like, I, don't, I, I now know that there's so much to talk about because it is what I face every day of my life. But I just choose to keep quiet because I felt that at one point of time, I don't think it is funny. Yeah, because there's a lot of frustration involved when you, have, when you are on the spectrum. You misunderstood a lot of things. You don't really understand jokes, especially in social setting. 
So when your friends are all in a birthday party, they are making fun, they are having some drinks and they tell about some jokes. And most of the time, everyone on the table already start laughing. Uh, I'm the only one who is still making sense of what is happening. Like, oh, why are they laughing? You know, that kind of thing. It, it is a very socially isolating experience at times. And it's very, like, there are times I feel like, ah, this is awful, you know, and I misinterpreted instructions a lot of times that people ask me to do something, I will do something else for them, you know, that kind of thing. And also, I will miss out instructions, so at work, it is also uh, a difficult thing. So there are a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of pain point about having, on being on the spectrum. But somehow, when I just being honest and just tell them that, yeah, I'm on the spectrum, so I don't get half of the jokes most of the time, you know. And somehow, a lot of comedians, they were like, why, you, why didn't you talk about this so much earlier on, you know? It's like, this is so funny, you know? I was like, no, it wasn't funny to me that time, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like, because it is like, it's draw from a lot of my pain points. So somehow it becomes a very personal experience, yeah, for the audience sometimes. And also for comedians, like, some of them were like, why didn't you do this earlier? You know, like, it's just so much of things to dig in, you know? Because it's your personal life, rather than just telling jokes about your dogs. Uh, maybe jokes about about uh, at work, you know, about your bosses sometimes. It's like, if you talk about yourself, then it will be really, it's very personal. And then the thing is, when you do personal jokes, the great thing is, uh, you don't really get bored so quickly because it, I'm still drawing from my real life, from energy from the real life. I still misunderstood jokes. I still misunderstood instructions. I still... I'm still frustrated of a lot of things. So the energy are still pretty attached to me. Although I can be telling the jokes for a good hundred times, but but I still feel the energy as though I, I'm still feeling it. Yeah, that, that's the great part about uh, tapping into your your own in, inner your inner self for jokes. Lah. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. Things that you find your weakness. Your weakness is effective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm trying to zoom up now because at one point of time, I was, uh, I mean, I think the one that you still see is UK is pretty much uh, very myopic whereby I'm still talking about myself, but I'm trying to branch out a bit more. So my new materials involve a bit more about dating life, you know, the kind of thing where, where a bit, it's a bit more common. That means it's a bit more easier to relate to the audience. So I'm just like putting on the filter of having autism, but I'm telling the audience that, yeah, I also have a love life. Yeah, maybe... I failed, but the thing is, I have a love life, yeah, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to expand a bit more. So uh, people who doesn't, who are not on the spectrum or they don't know anyone on the spectrum, uh, at least they know how how I feel about certain subject matter rather than, yeah, her jokes is only appeal to people who have autism or either people who have family members or co-workers who have autism. So I don't want it to be just like a certain isolated experience. It's like even people who are not on the spectrum or don't know anyone on the spectrum yet, uh, they are still able to relate to me. So it is a very fine balance about being personal, but at the same time being appealing to a wider range of audience. Because since I, I told myself I, I, I love traveling, so I would love to travel and do comedy at different places. So I want to be as, uh, as broad a few as possible, but at the same time still be very personal. So that is still something I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. It's a long distance, like it's a marathon thing, like that one. No, sounds good. I like it. <laughs> so you you you're going to go to America, Canada, and Australia next, and Edinburgh. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not sure lah because in Asia country also there is a lot of countries to explore. I have not explored performing in many other Asian countries yet. Like in Kuala Lumpur is where I'm based in, so of course that's where I work most of my materials. Uh, Singapore I've performed once because it's just down south, only a four hours bus ride down. And then uh, Bangkok is just I did a Thai gig as well, whereby I just fly up three hours into Thailand. Uh, it's this is just my neighboring country, so I'm just performing in these two countries. But I have not, ex- I mean, I have not performed in other countries like Indonesia yet, Indonesia, uh, Taiwan, China, uh, where else? Vietnam, Cambodia, and many other countries. Japan, Korea. I have not done comedy in these areas yet, so that maybe I might want to also explore performing in these areas as well, alongside with performing in the bigger countries. Because uh, Malaysia has a relatively weak currency, I would have to say. Because when I go to UK, it's like, for example, uh, how do I put this? Our conversion rate is like for a pound, I have to get five ringgit, five of my ringgits to get a pound. So everything is times five over there. When I go to UK, I buy anything, everything is times five. So it is a bit tricky to do that often unless I already have a very good income. But if I don't, I have to be very cautious with spending when I'm traveling. But in Asia countries, at least, it is still okay. I mean, I can still bear with the exchange rates. But for UK, for Canada, Australia, and US, uh, conversion rate, Forex is not in our favor yet. Malaysia is having quite a tough time with currency. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's the name of the Malaysian currency? Uh, it's called the Ringgit Malaysia. Uh. Yes. But we shorten it to RM. Yeah. So just an uh, acronym. Nah, it's easier. So everything RM. 1RM. 2RM. Yeah. That's, that's like it. Oh, RM. That just sounds like a rapper. <laughs> huh? Why is like it? a rapper. Like a rapper. RM. <laughs> yeah, RM. Yeah, actually, RM is a BTS rapper. If I'm not wrong, yeah. Is it? I am, yeah. Oh! Yeah. Yes. I am is a rapper. So that's why when you mentioned rapper, I was like, yeah, it rings a bell because because I am is actually a rapper in a Korean pop band. Mm. Cool. I'm going to look it up. I'll have have a look soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty cool. And then a pound is, in Malaysia, we call it a pound or either... For shorthand, for writing purpose, we use GPP. We just say, oh, GPP, you know, like, oh, I think Great Britain Pound. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Right. It's been, it's been fun. It's been, it's been entertaining. It's been, it's been interesting talking to you again. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, me too. Um, let's, well, I, I hope to see you soon. And yeah, stay safe, stay well. And yeah. Yeah. Take care. Yeah, awesome. take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me, Marvin. And thanks for coming. Thanks for coming.